Welcome back to the Strength and Speed Podcast. I'm your host, Strength and Speed owner, Evan Preparis. We have two guests on the line today. We're going to be talking about World's Toughest Mudder. Before we get to that, though, a quick word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Atomic Climbing Holds. Atomic Climbing Holds is rolling out all sorts of new products just in time for Christmas. I would definitely head over and check them out, whether it's for yourself, to put it on your own Christmas list, or to pick up some for someone else that's a ninja OCR fanatic. Biggest thing they just released was the Atomic Ninja Hangboard. So it's like an all-in-one training tool that you can mount on your wall. So hangboards work on fingertip strength. It's also got like a pegboard built into it. Uh, and then it's got little like nunchuck grips hanging down. So it's pretty awesome. I just ordered mine. So I'll have that in stock pretty soon. And then I'll give you guys a better review on it online. But yeah, watch out for Atomic. Uh, we were Team Atomic last year at World's Toughest Mudder when me and Wesley Kerr won. So they're, they promote both. They help out the sport. OCR and then also Ninja. So a lot of crossover there. So support brands that support our sport, support Atomic Climbing Holds. All right, let's get to the guests and to today's episode. So joining me, I have Jason Rulo, the inventor of the Neptune on who we've had before. Jason, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. And how many world's toughest have you done, Jason? Uh, now I have done eight. Yeah. So eight of the nine. I only missed the first one. So good level of experience there. And how did you end up doing this year? I got 65 miles. Uh, it was less. Than, I had a goal set for 75, but I always set that goal. And, you know, it's a lofty goal. But uh, uh, 65, I've gotten 70 once. So uh, I'm always towing that 65, 70 line uh, last few years. So that's, uh, that's what I'm, uh, I guess that's what I'm relegated to right now. <laughs> got to get better. Right on. <clears throat> and we also have one of the strength and speed athletes on the program. We have Kelly Williams. Say hi, Kelly. Hello. Hi. Thanks for having me on, Evan. And this is also Kelly's second time on the show, right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Sweet. And Kelly, how many World's Toughest have you done? This is my second World's Toughest Mudder. Both okay. of them have been in Atlanta. Okay. So good. We got an experience, you know, deep. And then we've got the Just Atlanta experience. And then myself, I've, this is my sixth World Toughest. So I did four Vegas and two Atlanta. Kelly, how did you end up doing this time? Um, I ended up with uh, 55 miles this year. Five better than last year. Gotcha. No broken foot this year, though. No, and no, no broken anything. I'm totally, totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good sign. All right. And then I ended up finishing uh, sixth overall with 90 miles. And we'll talk a little bit about more about my race later. I, I had a lot of... A lot of comments people were making me after the race and what my strategy was and stuff like that. So we'll get to that, but a little bit later. <laughs> okay. So let's start off with uh, just general thoughts. So Jason, as the experienced world's toughest guy, um, just kind of take me through, I guess, take me through the course in general, you know, you know, just kind of your experience with Atlanta this last year, which is, this will be the last year in Atlanta. It's moving to Dallas in 2020. Well, I mean, I thought they did a really good job, you know, minus the whole carabiner thing, which, we, you know, I know we'll talk about. But uh, uh, my, uh, other than that, I thought they did a good job. You know, the, the obstacles were kind of toned down. Um, not sure 
what they're really going for that. Uh, they weren't, it didn't mean that the course was easy though. They still had an adequate level of difficulty in there as far as doing the stuff. Cause they didn't take obstacles out as the, as the race progressed and, and things like that. But, uh, um, there weren't, there was only King of Swingers as their big high flyer. And even at that, they had to cut it off halfway through because they didn't have uh, adequate coverage for, for, for divers. But um, other than that, it's pretty, pretty toned down as far as the obstacle stuff is concerned. But uh, I thought they did a really good job. You know, they, I, I wrote an article um, at Obstacle Racing Media, you know, questioning what this new group was going to be able to accomplish. You know, were they going to make mistakes and, and all that kind of stuff. And I'll be honest with you. I think they I tried to address all of the stuff that I had concerns about and that Molly Kenneth had some concerns about. And uh, I think overall they did a really good job. You know, there's always things that they can improve upon and how dynamic they respond to issues that arise. But uh, I, overall, I think they did a pretty good job. Right on. Now, you've done eight World's Toughest. Where, If you had to rank this one as far as, you know, how much you enjoyed it, I guess, you know, where would you rank that among the eight? Well, okay, so let me just say that in is an overall experience and how smoothly it went, this was right up toward the top um, because everything from registration uh, to pit check-in, pit, well, getting the pit, um, pit check-in, you know, showing up for the race, having the, the pit area in a, in, a good, in a good spot as far as having the stables and all that kind of stuff. Uh, all that stuff was fantastic. It was all kind of smooth. It was a long walk for the parking, but I'm not sure there's much they can do about that as far as that site was concerned. Um, but they did have buses for us and all that. Um, and the course, because they didn't have to alter it, or they didn't alter it, um, other than that King of Swingers drop, uh, I, I thought it was, you know, basically the race operated exactly as they had planned, at least as far as the racers could tell. And I think as far as that stuff is concerned, it was pretty smooth. And, you know, when you're talking about doing a 24-hour race, if it can run smoothly with 790 competitors, I think it's pretty good. Um, you know, at times in the past, you've had a lot of changes that have to occur. You know, in 2017, I think it was, when they had to, you know, completely re reroute the, the backside of the course when people were failing uh, that calling infinity thing. And uh, the actual penalty route was shorter than a regular route. Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, and, you know, and the, that stuff – if you passed it, you ended up getting wet. And if you failed it, you didn't get wet. And it was quicker. It was legitimately quicker. Yeah. Yeah. So when Adkins started intentionally failing obstacles to make it easier, you know, to make it faster, they realized, wait a second, we got to fix this. So, you know, in, th in that regard, the fact that they didn't have to make those changes uh, showed that they had, a, they had a good plan and they implemented the plan and it went pretty well. Like, you know, it's, it's very difficult to rate looking back. Okay. What's the smoothest race that I've done as far as world stuff is concerned. But, um, this one ranks right up there as far as that, as far as that portion of it is concerned. If you want to start talking about obstacles, high flying and stuff like that, this is a, this is a very vanilla type thing. I, if you're talking to me, I understand where tough mother's coming from, but I like the fact that we had to do double rainbow, uh, the one year. I like the fact that we, you know, we have to do the cliff or some type of a bunch of big high flying obstacles. We don't have to yeah. be that high off the ground, but something as simple as like tramp stamp um, 2016, I think where you're bouncing up and sliding across. They've never implemented that again. You know, yeah. those are obstacles that are really cool and fun to do. And really we had like funky monkey. And I was like, it because they toned, they even toned down gauntlet, which, yeah. you know, it's probably necessary if they didn't want to have to make mid course changes because you know, people get middle of the night, they typically start failing it. But I think they could have included it, put it at the end, the, the, 
the whole uh, um, finger hang and, and doorknob thing and then just said, okay, we're stopping it there, you know, halfway through the race or something like that. But like I said, I think, I think it ran pretty smoothly. Yeah, the, it definitely ran smoothly from that side. 100% agree with you. The online pit check-in was like 100 times better. I mean, yeah. it was so much less stressful having to like show up on Friday to check in. And what's funny is when we had Jarrett Newby on the podcast, uh, it was like a year ago, a little over a year ago, that was one of the things he discussed. He's like, why can't we just select our pits ahead of time? He's like, why can't it be like the movie theater where you literally pick your spot? You know, the, the modern movie theaters now where you pick your spot and then you just yeah. show up and reserve it. And it was like, that is a good point. So it was pretty cool. I loved seeing that come to fruition. I don't know if Jarrett's comments on the podcast had anything to do with it or maybe someone heard it and then forgot about it and then, you know, whatever. But uh, it was pretty cool to see to see that happen, at least from, from my uh, position here. And yeah. totally agree with you. The like, you know, people were asking me my opinion on the race. And honestly, this is was my least favorite world's toughest. And I say that not saying it was bad. I'm just saying, uh, like the things you were saying, a lot of the obstacles, there was nothing new. Like usually they roll out next year's obstacles, a couple of them in this race. And then on top of that, use it as a couple of kind of like beta tests where they have obstacles yeah. that you may never see again. They're, they're at one world's toughest and that's it. And at this one, there something were, special for us. Yeah. At this one, there was nothing new. Um, so as someone who's been to, you know, six of them or you like eight of them, it was like, Oh, that's, that's missing. But I, I think if you've only been to one or two, you may not have noticed. So Kelly, what was your take on uh, kind of the obstacles? Um, I, I think you're kind of spot on there. I don't have a, you know, a historical point of reference for a lot of those obstacles. I, um, I definitely didn't find anything super easy because it's 24 hours. Um, but I think the obstacle placement and then some of the penalties was, it was different than last year and I liked it more. So, you know, I could only pass funky monkey a few times and then I get in really cold water and then you had to do a super long penalty. So you got warmed up. I mean, cause you had to do like physical things. You had to drag that mat and jump rope. You didn't just sludge through a half a mile walk. So I thought the the penalties were arduous. You know, they were very much longer than the obstacle would have taken you. So I think they got that part correct. Um, same for uh, King of Swingers. Um, again, you know, you're in the water and you're cold, but then you have to go do something pretty hard afterwards. So I didn't, you know, I thought the obstacle placement with those sorts of things and then having most of the mud, I guess, in the first half of the course, and then it seemed like more of the water stuff and the, Second half of the course made it just, it just, I guess it did make it seem more doable that way, that you weren't covered with mud going over a lumberjack um, or, you know, so, and then you weren't as nasty and muddy when you came into say the pit or going over Mutterhorn. So, I mean, it was easier in that regard. Whereas last year you were just sloppy muddy, no matter what you were doing. Well, let me just say King of Swingers, they did not beta test that thing at all. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because, <laughs> did, yeah. Did, you pat, did you hit the bell at all, Evan? So my first one, <laughs> I, I, I only did it twice. I started using my band on it because there was such a um, – the penalty was so long that I didn't want to yeah. risk it. Yeah. But the first one, I swing out, and I'm seriously like – I'm at the apex of the swing, and I'm like eight feet away from the bell. 
Like I wasn't even yeah. in the. I mean, I, I could have done yeah. a backflip, you know, like a backflip somersault <laughs> and still missed it, right? I was, I was one of the yeah. first people to go off of that. I heard, when I was on Gauntlet, I heard him saying, King of Swingers is opening in a minute. And I'm like, shoot. Yeah. And Kyle was standing there watching all of the melee happen and just grinning ear to ear. And then the second lap I came around, they lowered the bells by a foot. I, but I, I hit still, it. I hit mine on the second, my second uh, run. Yeah, I, I went I, for it and really hard. And I came down basically sideways, kind of did like a sideways flop in the water. That hurts, man. It's like hitting concrete. The first so the other, two, the other two times I did it, I reached for the bar, swung out, and then I just did a nice pencil dive into the water. <laughs> nice. The, the first time I went off it, I would both times. Like I said, I went off it like maybe four times. I never hit it, but two of the times I missed it because I'm, I'm going to be honest. The one problem I have with that obstacle is I would have liked to have timed. If you just, if, if, if there's three people up on the thing, because at any one time they only had like two, maybe two of the towers open. So there's at least three or four people. And of those three or four people, there's like one or two of them that are doable. And then you can see the other bells are like higher. So nobody wants to use those. So everybody's in line. Well, by the time the thing stops bouncing and the bell stops moving, you could have been halfway through the penalty. Yeah. By the, and that's just and that's assuming you actually hit it. So the one problem I have with that obstacle is it just takes too freaking long between go between attempts. Uh, but both times I got antsy, was tired, the bell wasn't <laughs> completely stopped, and I just missed it because it was still moving. And mm. I like the guy's like after I hit the water, he's like, dude. You were like two inches to the left. And I was like, I don't know. But the first time I did it, I overextended. I've done that before on that obstacle where you do a face plane in the water and I hit the chest first. <laughs> yeah. And I had water bottles in the front and it blew my vest apart. Like ripped the ripped the the buckles off the front and that had Chris, my pit guy, had to had to fix the vest and all this. So that obstacle, while it's it's fun to do, fun to high fly and do all that. Um, for world stuff, it's, it's just, it's problematic, I think. So, you know, I, to me, my favorite one has always been, uh, double rainbow where you oh, to love or, double rainbow or, or so, even if you did the hanging tough version where you don't have to catch a bell, you catch a net, but the thing's not moving. So you don't have to wait for it. You just gotta wait for the bar. To stop. So, yeah. Anyway, I liked, I liked King of Swingers, even though I knew I'd never even come close to hitting the bell. I, I enjoyed that because it pushed me out of my comfort zone for sure. Yeah, Double Rainbow essentially was King of Swingers the first part times two. So it was like two of yeah. those like T-Pendulums. So you, you swing, reach out, grab another T-Pendulum, swing, and then you essentially there's like a landing cool. mat you can walk off. So I like the that one. Part is- that one was fast. The reset was fast. The obstacle was fast. Uh, and it was fun. And you got to like whip through the air like an acrobat there. Yeah, and you di- and, and the end, when you completed it, you didn't get wet. Which just seems right. like a negative when you do the bell, you hit the bell, but you still get wet. Right. So that's why when they were like, if a hundred people sign up, we'll add King of Swingers into the world's toughest. And I was like, why are you people signing up? That's a terrible idea. Have you ever hit, <laughs> have you ever done the obstacle when it's 30 degrees out and you're, you're falling upside down? Like after missing the bell, it's terrible. It's an absolute terror, you know, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, you know, going back to what you guys said earlier about the uh, penalties, I did think they finally nailed the penalties because you know, there's been yeah. some years, both at Toughest and World's Toughest, where the penalty is like, I mean, it's nothing. It's like, why am I even doing the obstacle on this? You know, it's, it, it at my heart rate stays lower. I can just jog the penalty and, um, you know, it's a lot easier. 
So I, I did like to see them actually finally make a point there. And, you know, not only is it a run, but it's typically, you know, they added like the, the funky monkey. The one time I did the funky monkey penalty, it was like jump rope. And then I had to run and then I had to drag a mat. And I was like, what the? Yep. And then yeah. the being a swingers penalty was a log carry. But then like during the log carry, you went into a pit and came out of a pit. So it was time. It was like a, it was more like a grave. I'm going to admit the first two times I went through that penalty, I didn't even know that pit was intentionally there because no one was doing it. So I was Ugh. like, okay, is this not part of the, is this not part of the thing? Oh, I'm like, yeah. okay, I'm just following the crowd. And then I realized, no, that's supposed to be part of this penalty. I'm supposed to be yeah. doing that. But I did it took every two time. times before I realized. <laughs> there was, we'll get to that, but there's a lot of shenanigans going on as far yeah. as uh, rules and stuff like that. But so we'll talk a little bit about more about the obstacles. Um, you know, like we were saying, they, they took a bunch of their standard obstacles and they made, you know, little changes to them. Some of them were mm-hmm. cool. Some of them were like, okay. Um, yeah. You know, like devil's beard now had a pit underneath it. So you got wet on that one and the straps were very tight. And towards <laughs> the end, there, there was like a couple, like a couple of those last laps. I got to the end of devil's beard and I was just like laying there. I was like, please, someone lift the net. I can't really mm-hmm. move very well anymore. Um, yeah, that was that was a struggle towards the end. Devil's Tate. <laughs> yeah, Devil's Tate was well, the actual name. I'm, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna let you in on a little secret, Evan. Part of the reason why Scott Brown was flying so fast on his last lap was because I helped him get through that freaking Devil's Tate <laughs> thing. We, we had like we had like Damn five it. guys there, man. We had a little system going. He was it's all Jason's along. fault. He was like, all right, I'll see you. And boom, he takes off. I didn't know he was trying to run you down. <laughs> yeah. He would have run me down anyway. So Scott uh, Brown bumped me from fifth to sixth on the very last lap, uh, probably right, right after like Everest area, that uphill area. So, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so there was that. There was pyramid scheme, which they actually covered in Crisco, which I didn't even realize until, um, like, I mean, we were like 15 hours into the race until I realized it was covered in Crisco. Yeah, I just thought, I just thought it was slick. Um, I saw the empty bottles of oil. Yep. <laughs> I, I was wondering why it was always so slick at the top. I'm like, why is it more slick up here? I don't get it. Yeah. And then somebody told me, oh, it's because they're they're putting Crisco on, they're putting oil on it. I'm like, oh god. <laughs> I, I wasn't a big fan of that because you couldn't do it. But then at the same time, it was it, it, it was positioned well enough in the race where there was almost always someone there, at least for me. And yeah. the pictures yeah. I got, the pictures I got from it, I love. Right, like because you know I, I'm in race mode. I'm doing well, and there's like you know pictures of me helping other people and other people helping me, which I just think is a cool concept. I saw that; that was cool. I saw your pictures of that. Yeah. Let's see what else we had. We had um, spread eagle, which is essentially two slack lines parallel yeah. over water, which was basically the same. There was a little bit farther apart than usual. There was um, black widow, which is normally a mishmash of uh, what should we call it? Slack lines, you know, at different heights, kind of like a spider web over water. But this time it was basically a high wire, low wire. And I know yeah. I'm five six and I was on my uh-huh. toes with my fingertips. Yep. So Kelly, what were yep. your thoughts on that one? Oh, you know, that was one of those things I could like it I got there and I was like, son of a and even I had someone pull it down for me. Um, but I just I laterally traversed it the first time. My I don't weigh enough to even pull the slack line down. So my feet never touched. And after I did that, I'm like, I got kind of mad. I was like, nope, 
one obstacle is not going to ruin my race. I will figure this out. So as I was, you know, doing all the other obstacles, I came back into the pit. I said, I need, I need my a little towel. I need something um, so I can pull that slack line down and, and go across it. So in our little goodie bag, they gave us a little, like a towel, like a, I don't know. And so I would fling it over the top of the, the thing. And then I pulled it down. And so then I, I had to, then I actually had something to hold on to as I walked across it. <laughs> Cause nice. otherwise I couldn't, I couldn't reach it. They, they loosened the slack on one of them, but it still wasn't enough. I, I still wasn't yeah, I didn't was, weigh enough to pull it down. I was there when, when Eli did that. Yeah. So leave it to World, WTM. They got to have old Eli Hutchinson figure this out. And he comes up and he's like, I got an idea. And he just loosens the slack line a little bit so we can pull it down <laughs> enough for the short people to do it. And I'm like, do they not beta test this stuff? Yeah. I'm like, they need, we've always had this issue where the short people are always at a huge disadvantage yeah. on some of the obstacles. They need just to have a shorty lane, but they can't have, there has to be like a bar, like when you get up to the obstacle, that if you're over this height, you can't use it. Yeah, like I roller coasters. <laughs> it yeah, must be I, under this height. <laughs> well, I saw all these wusses, these big six foot three guys. Yep. I'm like, Taking what a short are you doing line. on the short lane? And he's like, yeah. it's easier. I'm like, yeah. you're backing up our line. Get out of here. You know, yeah. slowing down my race. But, so yeah. I improvised with a towel. Because <laughs> I refuse to take a penalty on an obstacle like that. No way. Yeah, that's, that's very clever. I mean, good thinking on the fly. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention a – so in Iraq, um, similar story. There's, um, there was a chow hall. It was in Iraq or Afghanistan. I can't remember what, which one. Um, they, they had a chow hall, right, where – the ice cream was in a separate room than the main chow hall. So they wanted to prevent the fat, the fat guys from eating ice cream that are in the army. <laughs> so this is good. This is great. And this is a hundred percent true, right? They made, they made the door like essentially a slat that was like six inches wide. So you had oh to go, you had to, you had to go through sideways to fit through so you could get ice cream. And then you had to like shimmy through sideways with your cup to get out. So be putting a Crisco on the front and the back of those Dude, big guys get that's through classic. there. You imagine doing that back in the States? Some people oh, are so up in arms so fast. Yeah, you that's can't funny. do that. I think the army openly discriminates against overweight people. So that's, um, <laughs> that's fair game. That's fair game, right? Like there's height, weight standards. And if you don't meet them, <laughs> you get kicked out of the army. So yeah. Oh geez. That's as, anyway, that's what that reminded me of. But yeah, uh, run through a couple of the other obstacles, and then we'll continue to talk about overall experience. So they had the electricity lane, yeah. uh, which was you know electroshock therapy, so hanging wires, uh, electric eel, essentially a low crawl through wires with you know through a little water pit, and then operation, you know the human sized game of actual operation where you're, you get electrocuted if you touch the sides, and yeah. then you, you could take that once that opened, or you could take Everest, Berlin walls. And skid marked, which essentially is a wall with an overhang and a uh, reverse slant wall that you climb up. So, did you guys end up taking the electric lane primarily, or the every time? Yeah, primarily. Yeah, I did. I mean, before until it opened, obviously, I took the other took the other lane. Um, but primarily, yeah, I got some big shocks this year too. Yeah, me too. A lot more shocks compared to last year. <laughs> I didn't like that. The yeah, I took the electric route every every time it was open. I was on the electric route. Yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. I didn't like that the walls were the other option. Like I liked it last year when it was the it was like the electric lane or it was 
a lot of water obstacles. Like you skipped, you know, uh, funky, yeah. uh, what do we call it? Blocking yeah, monster. Cause it, it was the walls more, are doable. Yeah, and the walls are doable, yeah. and like well, it's like a legit obstacle versus you know t- tough mud or some of their obstacles are just like here's mud, here's more mud, here's a low crawl through mud, here's a walk through mud, and you're like, all right, let me give give me like an obstacle here every now and then. So. I'm on. I'm going to play devil's advocate because I see where Tough Mudder was going with that. Those are obstacles where you typically need help. And in the middle of the night, you know as well as I know, which I'm not going to get on a big rant about, but Tough Mudder needs to address it. Uh, In the middle of the night, no one's out there. It's a freaking ghost town. So if you need help and there's no one there, you're SOL. So with the electric route, you can just be like, well, as you're walking up to Everest, nope, nobody there. Go on electric route and then just go that. What about Skidmark, though? And the. Berlin Wall. Well, it's the same thing though, because you need somebody to help you get over the stupid thing. Yeah, I guess so. So I, I, when you go the electric route, I mean, we don't need them, but yeah. there are people, a lot of people. In fact, I, I helped one person over in the middle of the day, and I thought she was going to fall on me in the middle of the first day. I'm like, you're you're going to hate life later. But you know, she could have <laughs> gone. She could have gone the the electric route the whole time and not had to worry about trying to get over. But she was struggling on lap too. Gotcha. So yeah. was, three. Really, those tall walls, things like that, I, I despise them because of my height. Um, but get, I was, and they said creative. they were taller this year. And but I was actually, I could get over both of those myself. I did them every time I had to do them. I got over them by myself. Um, on the very last lap, when electric route, my for me, like when the electric route was closed, um, I think on one of them, I got a little bit of help because it was really muddy up on top, and I was like, oh boy. Um, but so I was surprised that I could figure out how to climb up and get over them. All right, let's go over some of the other kind of tough mud or world stuff as unique obstacles. There was the one that returning from uh, Vegas was Statue of Liberty. So what were your thoughts on Statue of Liberty this year? And so you essentially you carry a lit torch across a uh, body of water and you're, you're not supposed to uh, put it out. Th- this is one of the ones where there's not there's not many I can really fault TMHQ on. This one, if Kyle was there, I'd have slapped him. Because <laughs> when we were in Vegas, we had to swim yep. a further distance, and we could not touch the bottom. Agreed. They could have put us out another 10 feet. Some people would have been able to touch. Most people would have had to swim. But instead, they put us on a walking route. We're walking through waist-deep, sometimes chest-deep water. Where's the – Where's the hardcore stuff? When we were in Vegas, we had to swim a lot, like real legit swimming. And, and basically in Atlanta, we never really had to swim ever the whole the, time we were there. The torches this year were like five feet long. I used mine like a cane. Yeah, I would, exactly. I would walk through and jam it into the <laughs> mud. Right. I'd jam it into the mud. And then away, if I like, it was going to fall, I was just going to let go of the torch because it was going to get stuck in the mud. And then I was just going to pick it up when after I, I stood up. The ones in Vegas were like – exactly. 10 inches tall so you had it was like this tiny little thing you had to like hold out of the water so maybe i shouldn't be telling them that because they're gonna go back to the old ways but uh, <laughs> well, you know i think yeah that was pretty in, easy in my opinion, we've always talked about how if you can't swim you don't need to be here and people wear vests and that's fine they can do that but from what i understand about this site in dallas there are no real lakes so it's all going to be man-made obstacles so or man-made water holes anyway, so they're not going to be swimming there either. They missed the opportunity. They had an opportunity to include a swim, and they didn't put it in there. 
And they, I think they just wussed out on that one. This could have been the one chance. It, did, it wasn't even the whole race. It would have just been the one chance. And I'm like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty good swimmer, so I like the swims. I think that adds an extra element to it. But it just ticked me off. I'm like, man, this is ridiculous. They, they just ruined this obstacle because it went from being this really cool thing like in Vegas where all you see is like the, the row of lights in the middle of the lake. Yeah, that was cool. To there's a street light right there. Yeah. There's like people all standing around right next to it. You're like five feet from them. I'm like, yeah, this is not the same experience. <laughs> no, no ambiance there. <laughs> so, so yeah. one of one fail, of the a good idea, epic fail. <laughs> one of the things that was unique, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jason, but this was the first time Arctic Enema was on a world's toughest course as part of the main route. At least it's I know it's the last in the last six years it's the first time. Well, yeah, in, in New Jersey it was. It was a okay. part of the it was a part of the of the uh at least uh, now I'm, I'm trying to remember twenty thirteen. I know for sure it was in twenty twelve, but I'm I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure 2013 it was also. But the funny thing was it was so cold uh, in Jersey. They never put ice in Arctic Enemy. So it never really, yeah, <laughs> it never really was a big deal. So you just did it. But, you know, I, and I'm going to be honest, uh, part of that art. So I'm the one that complained to Eli Hutchinson after the race last year that they didn't have any way for us to clean out before the pit. <laughs> I'm going to say that I think, whether it be my, 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 my thing or whatever, they heard that we needed to be clean coming into the pit and they did something about it. So I'm going to, I'm going to give them credit on that, whether it be my, my comments or somebody else's comments that got them to do it. Um, I like the fact it was there. It didn't bother me. It was cold. Yeah. So I'm going through, I don't know what lap I'm on. I'm, we're, we're a couple hours into the race and I go into Arctic Enema and you know, and it was, it was actually like a double Arctic Enema. So it had normal Arctic Enema and then it had a, su- a second dumpster that you went into and did like a cage crawl. And when I go to the, under the cage crawl, I go to cross it like a normal cage crawl and my thumb gets caught on something. And I was like, you know, and I'm like, ah, so I, you know, I basically stopped moving because my thumb stops moving and I give my thumb a tug, which obviously is not a good idea. And I drive whatever's stuck into my thumb further in. And then I'm like, oh, that's not a good idea. So I go back and I back up and I essentially somehow there was like a tiny piece of fence sticking out um, that my thumb got caught in. So I pull my thumb out. I pull this thing out of my thumb and then uh, I come out of the water and Sue Harvey Brown, who used to work at Merrill is was volunteering. And she's like, you're right, Evan. I was like, uh, she's like, Did you cut yourself. I was like, maybe, but it was so cold. Like none of the, you know, the, the my blood vessels were still constricted and I made it to um, what should we call it? Mutterhorn, essentially the next obstacle. And my hand just starts bleeding profusely, like blood all down to my hand. It's like dripping onto my pants. I was like, Oh geez. Um, so I crossed the finish line wrap it in rock tape. I just like, you know, essentially like a pressure, just wrapped it a bunch and just kept running. And that lasted for about two or three, two or three more laps. The tape fell off and then started bleeding mid lap again. And I just basically took it and jammed it against the side of my bleg mitt and eventually it stopped bleeding. But yeah, that was, (laughs) that was my fun Arctic anima story. And I don't blame, you know, you know, Sue went in there afterwards and was looking to make sure there was nothing sticking out. Like I have no idea what I got caught on but she couldn't find anything and I didn't hear anyone else make that mistake. So, you know, I, I do not blame tough water for that. That's just me. That's, you know, I just find sharp objects and rip myself on them. You know, I ripped my, I ripped the front of my shorts this time and I ripped the back of my shorts. So whoever saw me on miles, like 40 to 50, got a good view of my ass. Cause I mean, it was, it was straight up just hanging out. 
<laughs> I, you know, I saw you run pat with all those those synergy shorts. Those shorts. Those are the uh, ones you ripped. The Marina, Marina Sport uh, shorts. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So you ran past this at one point. I don't know. It was like probably close to midnight. You ran past Scott Wazicki and me, and uh, I didn't notice any ass cheeks hanging out or anything. So you know, it was too. We were I, spared there. I ran two laps. I knew I was going to put on a wetsuit soon in the next two laps. I was like, you know what, whatever. And I honestly forgot my ass was hanging out, but I mean, it was like, <laughs> it wasn't a cheek. It wasn't a cheek. It was like down the middle, you know, like by the crack there. So oh, gotcha. nice. Which is tends to be, <laughs> tends to be my MO. I did it in 2017 too. And I wore it for like yep. two or three laps then too, but you know, <laughs> so. good times. All right, well, let's see hey. what else. So, uh, so general thoughts about the course in general as far as, and I'll get, share my opinion, quantity of water and mud. Uh, Jason, you can go ahead. Um, well, so obviously when you increase the amount of water, you increase the amount of mud because you are now crawling out of water and getting more and more mud built up. Uh, you know, I, I think they did a pretty good job of making us wet, you know, there were some complaints. I was one of them that they would pull us out in the middle of the night. And we wouldn't get wet. So I think, Oh, they're like, Oh, okay. We're going to make you really wet. Um, so they included a lot of water obstacles. You know, I, I think some of it was gratuitous, um, but others, you know, they tried to make it, you know, I, th I think, uh, yeah, obstacle obstacles are obviously more challenging. Uh, an obstacle like devil's taint is hard. Um, and then they add a little bit of water in there, a little bit of cold water in there. And that, you know, just get you wet. And then you take an obstacle like, um, uh, kiss of mud. And now you just got this soupy, nasty mud stuff. That's mud, but it's still like basically watery mud. So, and then you have mud mile. So they, almost every obstacle that was like a quote unquote real obstacle, unless you, you know, it was one of the ones that you didn't fall in, you were definitely getting wet. So, uh, you know, I, I, like I said, I think they were trying to add difficulty with the water, but, um, they, there was other things they could have done with obstacles. I think there were they, the one thing that they lacked on is innovation when they're coming up with new stuff this year. They just basically rehashed old stuff like we talked about before. I think this was the, as far as I can remember, this is the wettest course period. Like if you failed every obstacle, you got wet literally at every obstacle. And even if you didn't fail, you got wet a lot of them on some point, right? Like even pyramid scheme, right? You're standing in shin deep water or even um, spread eagle you know, your knees or hands or something, or maybe your chest are dipping in the water for a little bit, you know, electric, if you go, th if you crawl through electroshock therapy, you're crawling through mud and water, electric eel, you're crawling through water, you know, operation, you're standing in shin deep water, cage crawl, you're swimming through water, Arctic enema, water, Augustus Gloop, water, you know. <laughs> yep. king of swingers, water, um, gauntlet, if you fail at water, yeah, it, it felt like swingers water either yeah, way. It felt like everything had water. Lots in. of water. Yes, I would agree um, with that. A lot of water. They, I, I did like Augustus Gloop. My favorite Augustus Gloop of all time is still the one we had in Vegas where you had to swim underneath the barrel and then go up the thing and it's spraying on you and all that stuff. I still like that the most. I, you guys oh, I like keep getting that. I like these swimming obstacles. But I like, I like the one. fact they added some difficulty with the rope. I, I like that this was, one. The other Augustus Gloop was stupid. Yeah, it's too easy. I like this Augustus Gloop. So what, for those of you who don't know, the Augustus Gloop is a, a, a tube that goes up straight up and essentially he's got a ladder inside and they're spraying water down. They removed the tube, kept 
uh, portions of the ladder, and then she had, she had a rope. So it was like a a slant wall with like footsteps and knots on the rope that you climb up. So I thought it was good. It increased the difficulty a little bit. That was one of the few obstacles where like things actually got harder, um, like legitimately harder. Like it taxed your body more. It was versus just like adding Crisco or you know adding. Yeah, meat. that that one was challenging. And then the hardest part was getting from the bottom of the obstacle up the hill again. By the end of the night, the it mud. was so. I had to crawl on my hands and knees because it was so slippery to get up the hill. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty much. There was one track that if you went to one track, your feet would stick pretty well, so you could get all the way to the top. But yeah, that was definitely an added element to the obstacle. But uh, that was one I think they got right. But a lot of yeah. them, I think they they uh, uh, and they brought down they 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 li- they listened and they brought down lumberjack a little bit. It wasn't as crazy as it was last year. Yeah, Still not easy, was, but not as crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was a lot, lot easier than last year, lumberjack. All right, one of the other cool things they had this year. Or interesting things, I would say. I would say it was the coach's mid lat pit. So in the middle of the course, you'd run up, and it was like two connexes connected to each other. A lot of times, there'd be strobe lights on the inside, smoke machines, and Coach T Mud was there along with Stephanie Bishop, previous World Toughest Mudder champion, and they would be blasting music and dancing, and lights would be going off and stuff like that. And you could also, when you came out the far side of it, you could actually get mid lap refuel. So your pick pit crew could come out there and actually pass you food but they couldn't exchange gear mid-lap so it was only it was food only although you could dump gear if you want to so that was something new something different jason what's your opinion on coaches uh mid-lap pit there well before i get into it what do you think about it what did you did you think it was something that was necessary do you think it was just you know kind of gratuitous craziness out there what uh <laughs> i mean i didn't think it was i didn't think it was necessary i didn't use it I thought it was, I thought it was cool. You know, I mean, it was just, they're just trying to liven up the atmosphere a little bit more and I get it. And it, so I thought it was nice. You know, I know Stephanie, so it was, I, I enjoyed being able to say hi to her on every lap. And, um, you know, some of the other guys, Matthew Lowe was out there, some of the other world stuff, some other community people. So it was nice to see some people out there. Um, so, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to, if you're, I'm going to pick between that and like a legit obstacle, I'm going to ask for a legit obstacle. But you know, if I can get if I can get both, then yeah, let's go with both. Well, yeah, I I thought it was super fun. I mean, it was a total DJ rave. I mean, that music and lights, and every time I came around, it was bumping. You know, I I, I think I'm not sure if it was necessary or not. I enjoyed it. I always listen to that kind of music when I work out, anyways, kind of techno dance stuff. Um, but I think it flopped though because no one was ever there. It was well, so cool. Like it was a really cool idea. But I think it yeah, yeah, I'll let Jason talk on that then. Well, that's the that's that was the thing I was gonna get at is that I talked to Chris Balvin and he 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 measured the distance. He was our pit one he was our pit crew leader. And it was 0.7 miles from the pit. One thing that I think Tough Mudder doesn't consider, because I know why they did this. They wanted to get people out in the middle of the course and kind of get like you know, so because we get out in the middle of nowhere and it, it's kind of boring out there in the middle of the night. There's no one around. So they were trying to get people out there. And I think that's the reason why they included that pit, quote unquote, pit stop. Um, and that's why they were trying to get people out there. The problem was it's 0.7 miles. Well, here's the deal. And this is what I think Tough Mudder needs to understand this part of it. And I just don't think conceptually, because a lot of those guys haven't run this race and this is new to them, they probably didn't think of this. But most pit people do not serve only one master. 
there are multiple pit people that they are looking after. So they can't run what would be a one, almost a mile and a half loop all the way out there and all the way back if they're going to be servicing somebody else. There's no way they can't get enough time. So there's not really time for them to get out there. I think that's part of the reason why it flopped is because it was way out there. It was super fun. I think it's a great idea. But one of the things I want to address, and I'm actually writing an article that I'm going to include this in, is about two years ago, I had a discussion with Mark Ballas, um, owner of Green Beret Challenge. And he said if he were to do a course like World's Toughest Mudder, he would do a figure eight type course where the course looped back around to the middle so that even if it didn't cross into the pit, it would be really close. Yeah. And that way you would have only half of the course at any one time completely away from everybody. And I think Tough Mudder could have done that with this course. They could have looped us back in a figure eight type motion, even if only all you did was loop back around when we came over the top of uh, like skid marked and all that and turned right and went toward where Arctic Enema was and then went down that way, you could, and then went down to Lumberjack that way and then loop back around. If they'd have put something like coach right there on that corner or maybe out a little bit further, they would have had people everywhere because that's close proximity to the pit. It's almost to the pit, but they could have put it out a little bit further. But a loop, an eight loop where we cross back over the course, and Tough Mudder has many ways to cross this over. All they would have really had to do was put Mudderhorn there or one of their other loop over obstacles where they've done that in the past. And now you, you remove this issue about people being way out in the middle of nowhere the whole loop and nobody being around. And I just don't, I, I don't think they're conceptually understanding how the race needs to be set up. If you're trying to get people around people at all times, if you're trying to remove that issue, they need to think about it in, in a little more dynamic way where we say, okay, how are we going to get them back, loop back in here and then loop back out and around so that we can get people seeing everybody halfway through the race and they're not out in the middle of nowhere, out in that field and all that kind of stuff. I think if they would have done it like that, something similar to that, bought coach a little, coach a little closer, they would have gotten what they were looking for. I thought they, they missed on that because they just put it too far away. Yeah, I think it was a good good experiment. I think making that figure eight is easier said than done uh, conceptually. Yeah. And then the only well, thing I'll it depends the only on the course. True. The only thing I'll say is the, you know, if you put it too close, it turns into pit two, and yeah. then you have hundreds of people there. So you know, maybe they're they're trying to figure out what's the appropriate distance. I, I think I think based off the how this one went, point seven from the pit is too far. I think that exactly. we can all agree with that. Um, so, yeah. you know, maybe 0.3 or something might be more reasonable. But, you know, and it's got to be clear clear how to get there versus, I mean, I, I don't know. You know, it's it's kind of disorienting when you're in the pit and you're like, well, where's the course? And someone's like, yeah, it's like in that direction. He like open palm point you know, <laughs> in a direction. Yeah, exactly. So. I mean, we all went off into the woods for a little while and then we brought back around. And, you know, I, I think the coach's idea is a good idea. I think they need to have that on course. I think where they locate it needs to be – they need to think about the fact that the pit crews are not going to be able to just walk off in the middle of nowhere for half a lap. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Trying to service other people. Or they've got other things they got to do, and it's just going to take too much time. So, you know, if they're trying to get that, you know, that vibe out there where they get a lot of people, they're just going to have to put it closer to the pit. And that, that figure eight pattern, that's, that's a, you're stealing a playbook or a page from the Hobie call, how we get OCR televised playbook where, so his idea was essentially all courses should look like a clover leaf. So essentially you go out, you come back and do obstacles, you go out, 
come back and do obstacles. You go out, come back and do obstacles. That way, you know, a television camera can essentially set up in one place, closely one place, and basically move, you know, 100 yards between obstacles and film people and be able to see multiple people at obstacles at multiple times. So, yeah, cool concept. Uh, I've yet to see – I've seen – I think companies have tried in the past, but, I mean, it takes a special venue that is capable of doing that and, you know, makes the waste – I don't know. It, it, you know, then the, the obstacles are – you're basically doing obstacles, running a bunch, obstacles, running a bunch, which I guess is not much different than what we currently do. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's get into some of the things that were very unique to, to this world's toughest. So for the first time, they did obstacle – uh, bypress bracelets, which they've had at Toughest Mudder this year, but were new for World's Toughest. So essentially, when you came through at 30 miles, they give you a green, um, not green, I'm just staring at my CTG bracelet. They give you an orange <laughs> wristband, and then you can redeem that at any obstacle and bypass it. And you got one at every lap, so you could build them up if you wanted them, or you could use them on, on each lap or whatever you want there. And then in addition to that, they had the golden carabiners, which are actually red carabiners. Um, which allowed you yeah. to bypass chunks of the course, which they've done in the past, but in the past it was only one carabiner, um, or you get one, maybe two if you're lucky. And this year was a little bit different. We'll get to that. Let's start off with the bracelets. So the <laughs> single obstacle bypass bracelet. Uh, Kelly, give me some in, uh, opinions on that. Um, I really enjoyed that because for obstacles like King of Swingers that I've failed at like four times after that to have a to have a bypass bracelet saved me a lot of a lot of time so I really enjoyed that like during the toughest races I kind of saved them up for the very end but at this race I used one every lap um I could on and I always use it on king of swingers <laughs> and then after that I used it on funky monkey probably yeah, I, so I, liked I, I I liked it. I thought it was legitimate. You earned it after a certain, you know, amount of mileage. You got one of them. It was pretty cut and dry. Yep, I like it. Jason, any counterpoint to that, or you, you happy? No, with it? I I think it's a. I mean, I think it's a good thing. Um, a, a good thing, a good way. You know, strategically, uh, typically, I would use it for King of Swingers. If it wasn't King of Swingers, I would be using it at Motorhorn because they're they're the King of Swingers. I failed a lot only obstacle really I failed and then the mutter horn takes four and a half minutes to do uh so if it takes that long I can cut a lot a lot of time by just not doing it so yeah yep. I mean there's strategy that goes along with that. that that's what I use them for those two obstacles so I think we're all on the same page with the bracelets good let's keep moving forward with that hopefully yep. the carabiners so they're at the rule briefing Oof. on Friday they're telling us about the carabiners and they're like yeah they're going to be hidden throughout the course you can earn some of them on the course we're throwing you know, a hundred of them in, what do we call it, a uh, mud mile. We're throwing them in the bottom of Arctic Enema. We're going to have a bunch of rubber ducks that you can redeem for prizes. And <laughs> he's briefing, and I'm sitting there, and I go to my dad. I was like, is world's toughest scavenger hunt? Like, what is going on? <laughs> yeah. um, and the race started, and actually was not as bad as I thought it was going to be. You know, so, you like, I earned a bunch on the Funky Monkey uh, level up lane. So, essentially, it was dead ringer. So, rings up to the top you take the rings with you and then you get on the wheels on the way down so i like that that you could earn it there um wasn't crazy that they were just like thrown about in the mud um you know yeah i like some of the ways you could earn them right like there was one there's several that were actually in electroshock therapy like on a live electrical wire oh yeah i tried that 
And they, like, I saw people going for it and like essentially trying to unhook it. So that was interesting. Um, but then, yeah. Well, Jason, why don't you, why don't you take it from here? As far as, I think, I think they worked well for the first maybe 12, 13 hours of the race, maybe even 15. But then the last eight, things kind of, you know, got out of control in my opinion. You, want, you know, I think conceptually it was a pretty good idea that they, I understand what they were trying to go for. Now, you have, you can't have, it just seemed to me like they didn't, and this was actually told to me by a volunteer who I know, uh, that they were not given any instruction as to how to give them out. Uh, he was just like, yeah, they just gave me a bag full of them. But, you know, this one girl was asking us to do push-ups and stuff like that. I think if you get one for uh, completing Funky Monkey in the middle of the night, okay, good, fine there. You get one for – you put one <coughs> hanging off somehow, hanging off the middle of gauntlet so that you're able to swing on those rings and still grab one good on you fine fantastic we got that one there um whatever you want to do if you it's specific anybody has the ability to get it uh and it has to be difficult a difficult task to obtain right. but if you earn it you earn it that's fine that's great but to start asking people random questions like one one of the guys asked me what was the the birth date of the marine corps what the heck does that have to do with racing yeah and it, if he asked now, here's the thing. If he asked Trevor Psychos that answer, Trevor knows that answer. But if he asked Chris Mendoza, Mendoza Mendoza not going may or may not know that answer. Right. So I don't think you can have it that when it's a competitive race, as far as your guys is concerned, and it is a competitive race, you can't have a rant the randomness of giving out carabiners for that. You got to have some kind of specific thing that everybody has a right to to earn. Yeah. And- they really, I mean, they got out of control those last couple laps. I mean, there was yeah. some volunteers who were literally, like, we'd run up and he would just throw them, throw them in the air. And we'd, like, I'd, like, pick one off. I'd be like, okay. You know, uh, I walked into Coach's quick pit at one point, and I literally found a handful on the ground. And I was like, uh, okay. Like, they were just littered all over the floor. I was like, okay. That's crazy. You know, it was stuff yeah, like that. I, I didn't like, get that lucky. <laughs> it was just, like, cra- you know, crazy, not craziness like that. The... You know, the sign said three. It started off to use the bypass. It required three carabiners. Then it dropped to two. And then it eventually dropped to one. And then, you know, sometimes when it was at two, the volunteer would be like, yeah, you know, do something, you know, do a dance and it'll only be one. It's like, like, you know, if if that's the instructions that Tough Motor headquarters gave them, then that's fine. But it seemed like the rules were just completely made up and just like, Anything goes. It doesn't matter. You know, I saw people bartering with the volunteers. I saw people bullying the volunteers. I, you know, one of the volunteers was like, it's two, it's two carabiners. And they're like, well, I only have one. Here's one. And they just ran off. It's like, oh, what? Seriously? You know, like, I, it was, you know, you're not supposed to trade them between people. I saw people trading them. I saw people using uh, carabiners as obstacle bypass bracelets and yep. vice versa. Like, it was complete shenanigans those last i'd say about yeah. six, six hours of the race so I, yeah I, I did not I, like it i agree with that yeah it was kind of out of control by the end yeah and, and then like yeah not a fan of it uh i hope they tighten like I, I don't mind keeping them but you need to tighten how they're distributed and be, have it be more regulated um yeah exactly. yeah there were there was no there was no regulation I figured it out pretty quickly that there was kind of a, a game to it because I was going through electric eel 
and there was one hanging there and there's this guy taking them off. Like there's nothing going on. <laughs> and, he's, and so I was like, he's not getting shocked. Well, let me try. That was a bad idea. <laughs> I got the, you know, the jolt of my life. And then I looked at the guy, he had these thick rubber gloves on. And he took it off for me and he gave it to me. Uh, <laughs> so I made my way through electric eel and there was someone from T TMHQ standing there. And, and I looked at her, I said, that's just pure evil, you know, hooking them on there and watching us try to get them off. And she goes, if you go through there again, I'll give you a carabiner. And so I was like, and, and cause all night I was looking for carabiners and everybody had them and I didn't. So that's why I tried to take it off of electric eel. I was desperate, right? Yeah. And so I was like, oh, this is a game. This is what they do. I go, sure, I'll go back through electric eel. I'm small. It was easy to go through electric eel without getting shocked. And yeah, so then, then I earned my first carabiner that way. You know, and then I was like, oh, this is, this is the game. And uh, fun, but there's way too many that were handed, just, just handed out. Yeah. Even too talking much. to – so I asked Trevor's opinion afterwards, Trevor Psychos, the winner of the race, and he was like – He's like, yeah, you know, I don't really like it. He's like, because, so he ran 105 miles. And he's like, he's like, because I know in my mind, he's like, I know I only ran like 103 miles. And I was like, <laughs> like, I don't, I was like, I don't think that really matters, Trevor, but um, that's fine. Yeah, like, I know I do, I do get where he's saying. Like, you know, I, my, yeah. my mileage was 90, but I know, I know in my head, I, I did not run 90. And I, I had enough time that if I didn't have to use the carabiners, I would have, I still would have gotten 90. But uh, it's, I just don't, you know, if you're, if you're, I liked it when it was, you can use the carabiners and you just bypass, you bypass the obstacles since you run the golden carabiner route, but it's not cutting off length of the course. It's just cutting off obstacles. So yeah, we'll see where they go forward with, with that. You know, again, speaking of the rules, I just, I just saw so many shenanigans in the last six hours. I mean, I saw people walk around obstacles because there was no attendant there and easy obstacles like yeah. mutter, mutter press, right? Like, People crawl under barrels. And I was like, do you seriously just walk around that? Um, I saw – and then there was the one that was like a spider web of ropes through the woods. Uh -huh. I watched someone walk around that, and they're like, I never cheat, uh, but like, but I don't feel like doing this. And you know, I'm not in podium contention. <laughs> oh, I'm not in podium geez. contention. I'm not in – you know, Every I'm not going to win any prize money. And I don't cheat. And like I'm watching the person cheat. And it's like – you know, it was like I saw that. I saw – even the little one, right? So there's there's a uh, there's a path. The path is marked, and it's just off the road. And there's a lot of people walking right on the edge of the road. All right, I, I get that, right? Like if you can reach down and still touch the the course marking, you know, I guess I'll allow that um, as long as it's not like you're blatantly bypassing a obstacle. But then at one point, the course actually like goes up on the hill a little bit, so you have to walk on the side of the hill and then back down because you're avoiding like a big drainage ditch. And people are just beelining it up the road. Like, like, <laughs> yep. like, seriously, guys, like the course yeah. marking clearly shows you. And it's only 10 feet, but it's like the principle of it, you know? And I, again, you know, people were like, oh, well, if they're not in contention, what does it matter? And it's like, well, the problem is when you let, when everyone breaks the rules and then you have the elites competing and the elites are watching all these people break the rules with literally no consequences, you know, people are going to be like, well, if no one's following the rules, why should I follow the rules? And then you have rampant cheating across the, across the, the competition there. So, um, well, I'm going to, I'm going to be honest, that little jog out you were talking about there, with the drainage ditch middle of the night, I walk right past that thing. I'm like 50, I'm like 20 yards past it. I'm like, wait, where's that thing at? And I look around, I'm like, Oh, I passed it. 
dang it. Yeah. It was the only time I missed it, but I was like, it, it just occurred to me. I was on the road, walking on the road, and wasn't paying any attention. I just walked right past it. But I saw a lot of people do it on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just one of those things. But, yeah, I, I think you, you have way too many people who are not competitive athletes doing this race, and they don't understand the spirit of competition. They're just out there for their own reasons, and it's not really to them. It's not a competition. So cheating is okay in their mind because they're not really out there to compete. And you'll hear them say, well, I'm racing my race. Yeah, but there's rules for a reason. And if you, do, if you play any other sport, you're not allowed to make up your own rules. Yeah. So you pretty much need to do the rules that, they, that they've given you to play by. Yeah, and then the rubber ducks, too. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't even know what to say about that. There's, there's a bunch of rubber ducks floating in <laughs> silly. Loch Ness Monster. And if you picked one up and it had a marking on it and you carried it all the way back to the race center, you got a prize. So um, I, I thought that was a joke. I didn't realize it was real. I thought it was too, but I found um, on the ground, I found, uh, I saw a rubber ducky and I picked it up. I'm like, ooh, it's got a mark on it. I'm like, somebody dropped this. I shoved it in my vest. And then I found another one on the ground and shoved it in my vest. What'd so I went to get my... Yeah. I got I got carabiners for both nice. of them because I went to the race center and got my band and I go I go well, what's with these ducks what do I get he goes is there a marking on them I go yeah he goes oh you get carabiners I go oh sweet I'm glad I carried them back with me uh, yeah it was it was silly it was arbitrary I don't know <laughs> I I couldn't tell what during the during the rules briefing I couldn't tell what they were joking about and what they weren't right so like I couldn't tell if the the that rubber was ducks thing was serious yeah. I couldn't tell if, you know, when he's like, we threw carabiners at the bottom of Mud Mile. I was like, well, I'm not diving really? in there because I don't, I don't know if you're serious. And I ran into yeah. uh, Corinne, um, who ended up coming in third. This is like her eighth world's toughest. She, and she did 75 miles. She was like, yeah, I found two carabiners in the bottom of Mud Mile. And then I was like, oh, are you serious? <laughs> They're serious. Okay. So like the next time I went through, I'm like dragging my hands and diving in, trying to find some. I didn't find it. But um, yeah, a little too much randomness. I like the ability to earn them, like we said, and uh, you know I hope they yeah. consider some of those things moving forward. All right, um, before we go, we'll do a quick kind of how your race went personally, and uh, any final thoughts, and then we'll do uh, tell us one thing about yourself that people would be surprised to know. So we'll start off with Kelly. How did your race go, and any kind of quick highlights, and we'll go from there. Well, um, my race went really well. I didn't quite hit the mileage that I wanted to, but most people say that probably. So I hit 55 miles. Um, I finished third in my age group, um, which was kind of cool that they did age group awards. I thought, you know, it's kind of, you know, it's nice. I mean, it's I love, not necessary, yeah, I love that. but it, that was nice. Um, and then I think I finished 17th female overall. I would say the biggest difference from last year is that I wasn't not a frozen popsicle. So like I would say some of the, the gear choices that I made and timing on things made a big difference in my comfort level. Like last year, I don't ever remember being comfortable one second this year. I was, I was pretty, I don't know. It was, it didn't feel so bad. Maybe it was just because of the experience. Um, you know, there was, certain things that just went a lot better this year. Um, I was, I was pretty happy with how I felt. I felt strong throughout the race. 
I didn't feel like all stiff and tired like I did last year. I was able to eat a lot better. My nutrition was a lot stronger. Um, so I really was happy with how the race came out for me. Will you be returning to Dallas 2020? You know, <laughs> I will be there. I'm not sure in what capacity. I will, I will always be there because I know Jason's going and I will always support him. So I will either be racing or I'll be pit crewing. So I will be there though. Gotcha. Jason, how did your race go? And will you be at Dallas 2020? Um, so my, like I said, my race went, uh, my race went well. I mean, I didn't have any major. So in the past, you know, always something comes up. It's always, I always tell people, you know, they're like, uh, it, you know, well, if this hadn't happened, I would have got this mile. Yeah. Yeah. But if that hadn't happened, this would have happened or that. Exactly. So yep. there's always something. Um, in the past, I've had dislocated shoulder. I had extreme nausea in 2017. Like for like 12 hours, I couldn't eat anything. Like literally nothing. I was witness. Uh, to I was that. puking my guts out. Yeah. <laughs> Kelly gave me a thing. You got to eat this rice. I put it, I, I put it down, literally walked 50 <laughs> yards and puked it back up. So I was like, yeah, that's not happening. So, you know, I, I, I've had those situations and I've had in 20, let's see, I think it was 2015, 2015, I couldn't bend my knee for 10 hours uh, going up and down. So those are all like the trials and tribulations. So this race, my body felt good. I felt good. Um, no major issues. And, um, you know, I, I had to walk a little bit overnight, but um, I, I thought the race went well. You know, like I said, I got 65 miles. I stopped 10%. I got like eighth in my age group. Believe it or not, here's a fun fact. Uh, one eighth. One out of every eight racers is in the is male forty to forty four age group at this race. Huh. It was crazy. I, I would have never <laughs> thought that many people, that many guys my age, were doing this race. But yeah, it's uh. So I, I think it went pretty well. Um, will I be there in uh, in uh, Dallas? Uh, that's like a foregone conclusion. Uh, assuming something stupid doesn't happen, I don't get hurt or something like that. Uh, I will definitely be there. <laughs> Sounds good. So, so that's, you know, that's my plan. I, I think Dallas is a good site. I, I do think it's comical. that The first thing people say is, oh, it's going to be warm. Well, I looked up the climatological history, historical data. The average temperature high and low are almost identical to Atlanta at that time of year. So, I, and, and, and if anybody's ever been to Texas and that part of Texas, it's a toss up anyway. So you got kind of a crapshoot of what your weather is going to be that time of year. Yeah, November is a, it's always a crapshoot regardless of where you are in the country. I will say from the I you know I've been I've checked the the weather before and I think it's going to be you know probability tells me it's going to be warm. That's what its probability tells me. It was like seventy <laughs> last night, so I'll take those odds over. I feel like more often when I look at Atlanta, it's cold, and more often when I look at Vegas, it's cold. Versus when I look at Dallas, it's usually warmer. However, you know. The Spartan yeah. Ultra Beast is about two weeks before World's Toughest in Dallas, and there's been plenty of times where their buckets are frozen. So um, it's not a guarantee. Uh, as always, come prepared for everything, and uh, you know everyone has to deal with the same conditions and kind of go from there. You know, you know people aren't going to do that. What's going to happen is a week before the race, I'm going to get 20 people <laughs> contacting me wanting <laughs> Neptunes, and they're like, can you just bring it to the race? Because no. I, need, I need to, like, have it on, like, racing. I'm like, you know how much stressful this is for me? You yeah. should have ordered this two months ago. 
and just, you know, taking your chances, not been like, oh, well, I'm not going to order until I really need it. So that's pretty much the way it always goes for me. They always underestimate how cold they're going to be and think they can make it without it. But whatever, it's a good problem. Yeah. All right. So quick rundown of my race. So my plan this year was, you know, I was feeling light. I was I weigh less than I normally do, feeling very fit, putting some really solid training miles leading up to it. And, you know, I was like, all right, well, I'm going to go for 100. And, you know, historically, that means I, I'm prepared, you know, I was prepared to slow down in the second half of the race. So my plan was to, you know, log about 50 miles-ish in about the first, you know, a little over 10 hours and run my own race and just kind of, uh, you know, run for as long as I can without a wetsuit. So, because I, you know, once that wetsuit goes on, I feel like it affects me pretty bad and I slow down a lot more than, obviously everyone slows down with the wetsuit on because it weighs more and it restricts movement. But I feel like comparatively to some of my competitors, I feel like I slow down more. So I went out and contrary to some people's belief, I was just running my own race. And on lap two, someone's like, great job, you're in first. And I was like, I'm in what? That's not where I want to be, whatever. So I'm just like, you know what? I'm just going to stick to my plan keep running my own pace. And people after the race were like, oh, you were going so fast. And I was like, well, again, I'm just running what felt comfortable to me. Um, you know, I looked at, you know, my GPS heart rate data. And according to my GPS, which is wrist-based, so it may not be 100% accurate, my heart rate was 147 average uh, for the first 50 miles. I had it running the whole time. And uh, so people were like, oh, you're pushing too hard. It's like, it felt easy to me. And my heart rate agrees with that. And my muscles, maybe not so much. What? 157 is easy for you? 147. 147. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> yeah. That's like an easy aerobic run. So um, Yeah, no, no, I get that. One, I was like, 157. That sounds like a pretty hard run. What are you talking about? Anyway, go ahead. Anyway, so... You know, at some point, someone's like, oh, you're like 20 minutes in front of, I can't remember what they said, Trevor or Chris. And I was like, literally don't care. It's completely irrelevant. You know, we're like eight hours into the race. Uh, it doesn't matter. You know, I'm just running my own thing. And what ended up happening was I was trying to like stair step down into a full wetsuit. And I should have, I ended up going from Neptune to neoprene top on the next lap. And then I ended up jumping to full when I should have gone from Neptune to uh, swim on shorty and run with that for a couple of laps uh, before I switched to full. Because what I ended up putting on the full, realized I was severely restricting movement, changed back into the shorty, ran on that for three laps, got cold, back into the full. So I ended up doing like three wetsuit changes and normally I only do one. So I killed a bunch of time there. And hmm. then, um, yeah, I just felt like I couldn't run real well with the wetsuit on and uh, slowed down and eventually, eventually hit the wall pretty hard. And, you know, just because being tired of running – 60 plus miles and slow down and kind of trudge my way to the finish line. So yeah, uh, no regrets. I, you know, I, I typically play it safe and kind of climb my way to the top slowly. And, um, I didn't run my own race and I felt good and you know, that's how it turned out. So people seem to be real excited that I was in first. I was completely unemotional about it. I was like, yeah, it's still really early. It really doesn't matter. Um, but <laughs> I, like yeah, if you're like, oh, you're in first. I was like, I, I literally don't care. It's complete. It's a twelve. It, I was like, you know, and I ended up getting passed. Actually, when Trevor finally passed me, um, it was around hour twelve, and I didn't know I got passed because we both went into the. We we're both in the pit around the same time, and we left from different exits. So I didn't see him leave. So he he passed me before I actually realized it. And then I think he ever, like a couple laps later, he actually lapped me, and that's when I realized he passed me. But he was already a lap ahead. So. Um, 
Uh, I thought I read. I thought he said that he said something to you as he was running on the pit. You probably didn't hear him. I thought he said yeah. that he. He said, "Hey, he Evan." Was like, hey, Evan, and took off running just because you know he realized that he was passing you at that point. Yeah, he, he said he said that I I was I think I was putting on the wetsuit at the time. I didn't hear him. I remember seeing him over my shoulder because our pits were like back to back. Yeah. I thought he was still there when I left, but you know, there's half a dozen people standing around, so it's not like it's not like it's only you and him. So. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Trevor, Trevor, Trevor did an amazing job at 105. Chris Mendoza, another amazing job, 100. And then Javier Escobar uh, also got 100. So it's pretty crazy that, you know, to be on the podium this year, you needed 100, which is. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. crazy stuff. Shows the progression of the sport. And I think we'll continue to see more of that in the future. So, you know, even with the lack of prize money, you know, there's some question of like, yes. you know, are people going to be as competitive? And I they think- certainly were this year. Yeah, I, I mean, this year it made yeah. literally no difference. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was more 100-mile finishers on the podium this year than last year. And then the women's mileage was higher too, right? All yeah, women, for sure. Women's only, women only got 75 last year, and the uh, winner was 80 this year. So Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome stuff. So that's kind of a quick rundown of my race. Um, yeah. Feel good about it. I'm ready to put some more training miles in next year and see how things go. I do my 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 life progress or my my plan of life is always very slow progression over a very long period of time, and I will continue to improve. I'll be it marginally while other people, you know, bounce up and down. So um, that's what I've been doing in fitness for the last 20 years. So I'm good with the slow approach, not a problem. But. Yeah, I seem to. My body seems to shut down at ninety miles. Um, I, <laughs> my PR in two thousand sixteen was ninety miles. My PR for this is ninety miles. Endure the gauntlet. My forty-eight hour conquer the gauntlet was ninety miles. Uh, OCR mill, the twenty-four hour OCR treadmill run was eighty-five miles. So um, got some. I got some training to figure out to kind of push that uh, push that upper end limit just a tiny bit higher. Well, see, now you have me disappointed because the other two 90-milers, I ran actually partial laps with you, at least portions of it. But this time, I run nothing because you smoked me right off the bat and you were gone. And there was no chance I got to run with you at all. So, yeah, my, <laughs> my plan was, was even effort, uneven pacing, right? So I was going to – it feels easy for the first 10 hours. I was just going to cruise. And then when I put the wetsuit on, I was going to slow down. And, you know, my pace chart reflected that. And maybe I'll post my pace chart later, like what my actual plan was. But I was on pace – uh, according to what I wanted to be for most of the race. I mean, for like 16 hours of the race, I was where I wanted to be. And then uh, I started falling apart. And, and then when you add in the, the, the actual pit uh, splits on the chart they show online doesn't reflect pit time. So when you add in pit times, it pushes me a little bit off base. You know? so. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. But Let, you still yeah. got 90. You still crushed it. Yeah. People were real excited. I had so many people say good things to me afterwards, which was super nice, uh, both about my book and leg mitts and then my performance. So that was really cool. I did appreciate that. I think my Facebook post made it seem like I was upset. I don't, I don't know. Most of my posts are de- fairly devoid of emotion. Um, <laughs> so I, like, I'm just stating facts there, you know, and I yeah, think people, I, people yeah, read into it. it. Your, your lack of emotion on the, in your statement there pretty much is the way they need to read into it. Yeah. Yeah. Know. Like I'm just stating facts there, you know? So I was like, I was like, you know, I led the race for 11 hours, which is cool, but doesn't really count for anything. And it doesn't, you know, I, I, I'm a realist, right? Like that's the end of the day is where you finish matters is at the end of the day. It doesn't matter where you were at the halfway point. Um, yeah. but I did, it was kind of cool to be, 
you know, like I read, you know, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, Harley, Jason Harley led the race for the first lap on the green bib. I led the race for the next 11 hours and then Trevor led the race the last 12. So that was kind of, that was kind of cool. You know, something, yeah. something to be proud of. So. I, uh, Matt, Dav- Matt Davis was like, you're running faster than Brian Atkins. And I was like, don't be ridiculous. I was not <laughs> running faster than Ryan. It only seemed like that because Brian Atkins wasn't there. So there's no one to compare me to. Right. So like, you know, Trevor's slow and steady. Trevor's always, always climbs. Chris Mendoza always climbs. And even they were, they were up towards the front. I'd say fairly early for themselves. I and mean, you can ask, you can ask them. Uh, yeah, they were. So they passed me at probably five hours in or something like that. They came walking past and, you know, Mendoza is always quoting uh, Talladega Nights slingshot engaged every time he passes me. He likes to do that to me. And uh, they passed me. And I think at that point, maybe Matt Hansen was in second. I don't know. There was somebody between them, but they were running together trying to chase you down. You were a good ways ahead at that point. So um, they were slow and steady, but they were moving. But yeah. it sounded like you were able to hold them off for a long time. Yeah, solid. All right, let's start wrapping things up. Um, Again, throughout this podcast, I'd say we were very critical of Tough Mudder and World's Toughest Mudder, but that's because we've been to so many and because we love it so much. So, you know, I think if you've listened to this and you made it this far, just know that I absolutely love it. You know, I'm definitely going back next year. Um, I'd say we were critical, again, because we've experienced it so much and we want it to be the best event possible. And it was still a great time. And if this was your first World's Toughest, you should be 100% proud of your mileage, whether you got 25 50 or 75 or whatever you got and you should be 100% proud of enduring through 24 hours of OCR because regardless of the course whether it's you know hard or difficult compared to a previous year or, or the weather's nice or shitty compared to a previous year spending 24 hours doing obstacle course racing is a hard feat and it's something everyone should be proud of and you should be clutching those bibs and those uh those black headbands there so uh great job to anyone of those out there and push themselves, maybe found some new limits that hopefully they can push a little bit further next time. So let's run around down the list. So tell us one thing people would be surprised to know about you. Uh, let's go start off with Kelly or Jason, whoever. Um, I guess I'll, I'll take this. I have no idea what I told you before when I was on the podcast, but um, probably something someone doesn't know about me is <laughs> that I, I'm from the Midwest, but I used to live in um, Orlando, Florida and um i one of my jobs was actually at disney world yes yes so good um, and i was all of the short characters i was mickey mouse minnie mouse donald duck timon is- um all those short characters i was the person inside there signing your autographs at breakfast this is the best <laughs> one we've heard ever <laughs> Yep, that was me. So my fun fact about Disney that someone told me is when some when you ask someone at the park to point, they always use a full hand because they don't want people pointing with one finger because it makes them seem – like someone across the room could be like, you're pointing at me? You know, and it would seem rude. So they always point with like the open palm. Um, true. Is that true? That's true? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the and other – some. Some countries, it might mean something than other countries, you know, like, ah, yeah. we know what the middle finger means here in the U.S., but <laughs> somebody else might not know. And the other, fun, the other fun fact is, right, so Disney World is actually, you're actually standing on level two, right? It's because the Yep, there's the a first, total subway system underneath, catacombs down there yep. throughout the entire thing. It's all underneath. 
So it allows the characters to move through the park and the, to the, the trash and stuff to move through the park on, you know, without the guests seeing it. So I love yeah. Disney World. They go all in, which I appreciate. So, Jason, what do you got that's going to top that? Nothing. I don't even <laughs> to go to you. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah I got I, I got nothing. All I got is burgers. Uh, nothing. You know. I, okay, so I'm a personal trainer, and when I'm in high school, I flip burgers. That was my job. I was a rally burger flipper. So I went from fast food to, you know, healthy type person or whatever. So I got no exciting jobs. I've been a personal trainer my entire career. So um, I got nothing like that. I did want to say one thing, though. You said we're highly critical. I've been highly critical of Tough Mudder for the main reason is because everybody wants them to get better. Uh, I'm going to tell you, I think Kyle McLaughlin is exactly what Tough Mudder needs. Yes, that guy is an awesome guy. He messed with me on course. He, he knows I'm the one that wrote an article that's, that was critical about Tough Mudder. He was messing me, with me while I was on course. But he was front and center the entire weekend. And he listens when we make complaints. He'll probably listen to this podcast. He'll probably have it in for me by the time I, we're done with it. But I'm going to tell you that um, I think they're on the right track. I don't know what their vision for world stuff is, is but I think they're doing it all right. I think, we're, like you said, we're critical so that they – know where we're coming from and they can take that into account and use do with what they will. But um, anyway, I just want to make sure I, I made that apparent. I think that they are doing what they can and I think they're doing a good job as far as uh, the overall customer service and stuff like that. Yeah, hundred percent agree. I think Kyle is doing an absolute phenomenal job hitting it out of the park. You know, he's responsive. He, he answers people's questions. He, and that's the biggest thing, right? Like he's, he's open. You can approach him. You can talk to him. Um, he's, visibly a figurehead of the company out there interacting with people. So yeah, hundred percent agree. Love what they're doing. You know, obviously I don't, I don't agree with every decision, but I think if you're the type of person who agrees with every decision, you're probably not looking at things objectively. You know, if you're, that means you're probably just infatuated with the company or the, the idea of the company and you're yeah, right. Like I don't agree with every decision conquer the gauntlet makes, but, um, yeah, it's just the way it is, you know. If you, if it, it's like it's like not to be, not to be political, but if you know, if you the people who are political, like very politically motivated, and they're like, oh, this party is great, and this party is the complete devil. They're complete. They have no redeeming qualities. It's like you're probably not looking at things very objectively if you if you say one party has literally no redeeming qualities and the other party has all like all the perfect answers. So, what's this Disney related stuff? You're like one of these big time Disney guys. Um... Not like no, he, Disney, like he, he tries to go off of what the other people say. Yeah. Have you have you never listened to Evan's podcast? No, I have. <laughs> I'm just not. Uh, he said he was really excited about the Disney comment, oh. and as soon as he was, I was like, "Man, is he a Disney guy?" Disney, Disney. Besides being like the future of of life, because they have taken over everything, you know, with Disney <laughs> and uh, they take over Star Wars and National Geographic and all that stuff. It's like the greatest. Have you, have you been to Disney World, Jason? Uh, I have not been. I've been to Disney Oh, World. my goodness. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, he's never, never been there. It's like <laughs> they, they just go – like it is completely immersive. They go all in all the time, right? Like, I mean, yeah. everything is themed. Like if you go to Six Flags, it's like very loosely themed. Like it's like, oh, I'm now I'm in the Batman ride. And there's like a couple of pictures <laughs> of Batman. And that's it, right? And like the rest of everything else is – like Disney, when you go into a different section of the park, like everything is themed like that. It's like the desserts, the um, you know the characters, the 
Exactly. Everything's yeah. themed. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. And they just opened Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, which I want to go to so bad and build a $200 lightsaber, which I don't need. Um, but I will, I, will, <laughs> I will gladly buy it anyway. Um, I do have a lightsaber. I have one of those. Yeah. I I've already I have, I have a really nice lightsaber that I've uh, shared before. So, um, yeah, I definitely don't need another one, but I will buy another one when I go. The, once my kids are old the enough. Next, the next Endure the Gauntlet, we need to bring our lightsabers and have a duel in the middle of the dark. Well, I, I don't I'm, – I'm, let's see, Endure the Gauntlet. I do have a ultra OCR thing planned for 2020, but I'm not ready to reveal that yet. Ooh. Um, All right. I feel like I'm, I'm taking a step down slash sideways because I'm running out of ideas. I don't have I don't have any good ones this time. We're just gonna, <laughs> we're just gonna call it. Uh, we'll, we'll wrap things up. Jason and Kelly, thanks again for coming on, and we will see people later. Before we go, though, quick quick shout, couple of shout outs. One, there's a contest ongoing. I'm giving away free bleg mitts and free books. Make sure you enter that. It's gonna be on the Strength and Speed Facebook page, or you can check my personal page. That is a test run. So I want to make sure the program worked uh, before the next big contest, which is the Hannibal Race Kuwait giveaway. So it's going to be a similar format. Check for it on Facebook. I'm also probably going to do a couple of like secret words that I'm going to reveal in the podcast. And you can enter it on the contest and that'll allow you to get more entries. So since we have Jason on the podcast, today's secret word is Neptune. Uh, E-U-N-E, right? So enter that and you'll get a couple more entries to win on the, on the entry form. That contest should go live almost as this podcast uh, airs or a couple days after this podcast airs. So Neptune is your secret word there. And other than that, I got, I'm going to get about to get a resupply of bleg mitts in. Uh, not a huge resupply. So if you're waiting to order some of them for Christmas for someone or put them on your Christmas list, make sure you order them soon. Um, I think they, I should have them by – Probably end of the first week of December, they should be back up on the site. Uh, same thing with uh, books. I just got a whole new resupply of Ultra OCR Man in. And um, once I run out of this one and the old my other books, I'm, I'm not planning on reordering because it's expensive to reorder. So check those out if you're looking for Christmas presents for OCR, family, friends, etc. cetera. Uh, any final shout outs you want to give Jason or Kelly? Um. I just want to thank uh, my family for always uh, being supportive of me and um, shout out to uh, Mr. Neptune there, Jason Rulo too, for um, helping me be successful at two world's toughest mutters for sure. Jason, what do you got? Well, I'm going to throw the shout out to uh, my alpha racing team. Kelly and I are on the same team and the guy, the people that came out to help us out, um, Jesse Bay and Leah Hinsley and Chris Balvin, uh, pitting for us at world's toughest. Um, yeah, it was pretty, pretty fantastic. We couldn't do it without them. Really yeah, they were fantastic. All right. On. All right. We'll let everyone go and we will catch you next week. Planning on doing a rundown of all the 20, the big 24 hour OCRs. So hoping to get someone on here from Sweden, see what that was like. And then scheduled to get Jarrett newbie on from who ran the platinum rig 24 hour relay. Uh, which is the same weekend as Toughest Mudder Las Vegas. So I'm going to kind of do a 24-hour rundown for the next couple of weeks. So I hope you ultra OCR people listen in and uh, you can see what else is going on. We will catch you guys later.